All right. This is the Tom Bigby Tales, and I'm your host, Shannon Evans. Uh, I write about a small town in Northeast Mississippi called Columbus along the Tom Bigby River. And sometimes I branch out across the state like I am today. And we're speaking with LaWanda Dickens of the Miss, of the Magnolia Literacy Project and many other wonderful things. Welcome so much. Would you please introduce yourself better than I did? Hi, <laughs> Hi Shannon. Thank you so much for inviting me to come on. I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to you and to ongoing work with you. Well, this is yeah. my honor. I'm just so pleased that we finally got to to do this. I, I, I'm, I'm excited about your work and I'm a big fan. Likewise. All right. So I want to talk about the work that I'm doing as founder and executive director of the Magnolia Literacy Project. And it's a 501c3 nonprofit organization based in Flowood, but we serve young people all over the state. We promote literacy as social practice while also embracing multimodal multimodality. So sorry about that. <clears throat> Engaging youth in literacy as social practice is crucial to not only their self-awareness, but also their understanding of the world and how they see themselves. For decades, researchers and educators have been talking about literacy as a social practice that focuses on how people use literacy in their everyday lives. So we've got Jerome Harsty, Shirley Bryce Heath, Janice Maben, Peter Timms, David Barton, and others who are addressing literacy as something that's practiced in the home, the school, and the community. Yet it's often associated with only school and presented to young people in repressive ways such as to prepare for a test or to pass a class. And for some of our youth, that's their only experience with literacy. Wow. They need to be taught that literacy is not limited to just reading and writing. It's about multimodality. The National Council for Teachers of English says that literacy is oral and visual, that it's drama, art, text, music, speech, sound, physical movement, animation, and gaming. So there's a lot to grasp there that some of our young people never are made aware of. When youth are introduced to literacy as something that's enjoyable and at the same time validating with multiple outlet outlets of expression and understanding, then they get to experience it as something that's personal and uplifting, inclusive, and empowering. I think often about J. Elspeth Stuckey, <clears throat> the author of The Violence of Literacy. She says that rather than enfranchising people, literacy is violent and ulterior, and that it's used to perpetuate privilege, disadvantage, and injustice. Now, that might sound like an over-the-top, maybe overly strong view, but I actually think she's right. And that has um, a lot to do with the foundation of the Magnolia Literacy Project and why it was founded. And we refer to it in short as the MLP. And it uses literacy as a means of celebrating Mississippi while promoting youth advocacy and activism across the state. 
We give young, marginalized Mississippians a platform to showcase their literary talent, explore their identity, and represent their own communities. We do this through cultural enrichment, mentoring, publishing, visual art, public speaking, photography, and videography. So we've got three youth programs. And the first one I wanna talk about is Black Magnolias with Voices. This program draws on scholarship on Black girls' multiple identities and literacy in a culture that has really historically and systemically excluded them from spaces of empowerment. Several former writers with our Black Magnolias with Voices blog have gone on to make some pretty remarkable achievements. Hannah Jackson, by the way, from Natchez, is now a published author. She's a recent grad, well, I shouldn't say recent, maybe two or three years ago, she graduated from Alcorn State University. We've got young Erica Barnes from Monticello, who started writing for the blog when she was just in the ninth grade. After we published her first poem, Help Me Understand, about her experiences with racism, Delta State University invited her to speak on a panel about racial healing as a ninth grader. Oh, wow. Yes. We have Jamie McAdoo, a recent graduate of Jackson State, my alma mater, <laughs> came to us as an already published writer referred by one of her professors. During Black History Month of last year, she and Erica were both selected to present their poetry at the Crown and Glory Beauty Expo in celebration of the history of natural hair. Oh, wow. Now, That's pretty significant. We, we've got some, some young people who are extremely talented with a number of literacy-based skills. Natalie Dickens from Flowood, also a recent Jackson State graduate, created videographies for the Magnolia Literacy Project in honor of Black History Month, as well as Women's History Month. Natalie is now the assistant marketing coordinator at Pitch Black, a cultural marketing company in Detroit. These are the types of talent that we seek to nurture and support. And so they, all of those young ladies were older teenagers, college students, when we got to know them. But we're interested in attracting more children when they're as young as kindergarten and just watching them grow along the way through the Magnolia Literacy Project. So that brings me to our second program, Seen and Heard. This program, well, the name came from a challenge to the seen and not heard ideology that undermines so many young people. Mm -hmm. Seen and heard encourages self-advocacy through literacy and serves children in grades kindergarten all the way through eighth. We partner with schools and other organiz organizations to involve children in reading, art, and writing projects. The Brookhaven Lincoln County Boys and Girls Club in my hometown assisted us in a spectacular celebration of Juneteenth and a reading about the life and works of Congressman John Lewis. We also celebrated National Poetry Month in Brookhaven and a group of middle school students wrote poems in honor of their mothers and grandmothers. And just to see the 
excitement and the level of interest that they show when we go out into these communities and work with them, it's, it's simply amazing. I'm also a teacher mm-hmm. and I can tell you that there is a difference in how students respond to literacy or I believe any kind of subject matter, depending on how it's presented to them. It has to be engaging. It has to be something that allows them to see themselves as well as their communities. And that's that's a part of the first steps to understanding and growing. And finally, our third youth program is Gen Z View. It's relatively new. <clears throat> we just started it last year. A few months, Shannon, after this program was launched, I was diagnosed with cancer. And so oh. all plans. I'm in remission now. Thank God. Huge blessing. Hallelujah. Yes, but all plans came to an, to a halt because of that. So we were pretty much inactive for most of 2023. But the the purpose of Gen Z View is to nurture and foster the talent of all all young Mississippians who are interested in literacy in some form. We target high school students, college writers, artists whose work reflects cultural competence, proactive thinking, advocacy for marginalized groups, as well as overall healthy quality of living Mm -hmm. and overall healthy quality of living. We started out, you know, as I said, before my, my diagnosis in January of last year in partnership with Jim Hill High School. And that was a part of what was called the Gen Z View Reading Club. And several, I think we had a a total of 25 students who participated in that reading club until we had to put a pause on it. And we started with Kentucky's Poet Laureate, Crystal Wilkinson's book, Perfect Black. Mm -hmm. And we, we covered a lot of things such as ethnicity, race, gender, ability, sexual orientation, Mm -hmm. religion, and other known targets of historical and systemic maltreatment. And again, we we just saw tremendous interest from our young people. We picked back up with Wilkinson's book, Perfect Black, towards the end of the year with another book club. And this one falls under the Black Magnolias with Voices program. And it's called the Blossoms Mother Daughter Reading Club. Which is how we came to know each other. Absolutely. Was me reading about that program. Yes. So that's that's brand new. And the concept there is, so we've referred to the girls as blossoms. We, We refer to their mothers as magnolias. And it is just the sweetest thing in our gatherings when the girls talk about their moms. None of them say my mom or my mother. They say my blossom. If they have to to communicate with me through our group chat, hey, Miss Dickens, um, my Magnolia and I are running a little bit late, but we're on our way. (laughs) And then at the same time, the moms don't say my daughter, my child. They say my blossom. And, And so I really like that they feel 
connected in that way. The the vibe is just something mm -hmm. spectacular. We are, <clears throat> since the nonprofit um, already had in-house a number of Wilkinson's books, Perfect Black, we decided to just go with that. And um, so far, we've had two events. And this was last month. We had an orientation for the Blossoms and, as they would say, their magnolias. And we also had a book distribution at Lemuria Bookstore. Mm -hmm. And so I we're going to get... That's one of my favorite bookstores in the world. Mine too. It's it's like a second home for me. Um, so we're going to start on January 20th with our first actual reading club meeting. And from that point on, we'll go every two, we'll meet every two weeks and it is virtual on up until the weekend before Mother's Day. And the culminating project will be a mother-daughter awards banquet where each blossom gets an opportunity to deliver a presentation about the greatest takeaways from Blossom for her. Oh, wow. And additionally, each girl, each Blossom will make a presentation in honor of her Magnolia. Oh, Yeah, so it's, um that I'm really excited about that. And something that's extra special to me about the Blossom's Mother Daughter Reading Club is, it was not my idea. It was my youngest daughter's idea, Natalie. Oh. I talked about Natalie a few minutes ago. <laughs> she was she was very involved with our Black Magnolia's of Voices program before she graduated from Jackson State. But earlier in the year, she recommended that I do something, a, a reading club specifically for mothers and daughters. And I just, I thought it was the neatest concept. Huh. And yeah, so... Um, that is, those are our three primary programs that we have running right now. Just a few more details about the Magnolia Literacy Project. It's been nearly three years since we launched. We served young people from Rankin, Hines, Lawrence, Adams, and Lincoln Counties. Oh, we wow. partnered with Blackburn Middle School, Jim Hill High School. Those are both Jackson Public Schools. We've partnered also with the Brookhaven Lincoln County Boys and Girls Club. And as I said earlier, we've even served students from Alcorn State University and Jackson State University. But I have to add Tougaloo College to that list as well. Nice. Yes, yes, yes. And, and uh, I love that college because my other daughter graduated, my oldest daughter graduated from Tougaloo. So I have so much love. For, That's for great. That college. Great Mississippi HBCUs are all being represented. Now Absolutely. we got to get a Valley State in there. That's right. Valley, <laughs> we're coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a great idea. So, during our, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say during our second year, the MLP reached a point when honestly, interest in our programs started to exceed our resources. So we're very much in need of support in the form of donations, board members who are who are willing to serve actively, and volunteers. Uh huh. So, and, so what? Where? Where would you like to branch into next? 
I, I think the next goal is to pour into the Gen Z view program more and to build that up. And I hope to reach a bigger audience of young people. One community that I have a special interest in, and I think that stems from the university work that I've done over the years. By the way, I forgot to mention that I do teach at Jackson State in the English department. But over the years, I have taught so many students who are members of the LGBTQ plus community, and I know their struggles. I know how hard it, how hard it is for them on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think the, um, the most concerning situation for me was to move back home to my, to my home, Brookhaven, from Detroit, Michigan, and experience young members of the LGBTQ plus community in the Bible Belt. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's something totally different from the young people that I worked for before in terms of the pressures that they confront. And so where the Gen Z view is concerned, I'm very much interested in recruitment in that, you know, in those communities here in Mississippi. Um, I also foresee un under that same program, a summer internship, a summer paid internship oh, wow. where, yes, where we prepare young people for literacy-based fields. And so that that's, I, for, for now, you know, I'm still trying to recover and, <laughs> um, get reacclimated again to, to life post-cancer. Mm -hmm. And so for now, the immediate plan is just to focus on the Blossoms Mother Daughter Reading Club, as well another reading club that we have, which I didn't mention a few moments ago, but a financial literacy reading club for youth in grades kindergarten through eighth grade. But long-term, it's that internship and it's appealing to a broader base of young people. Mm -hmm. So you said you're a 501c3. Yes. Okay. So you can apply for all kinds of grants now. Yes, absolutely. Nice. Um, speaking of which, <laughs> we're also in need of a, of a grant writer. Okay. That's uh, so many people are. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It, it yeah, it's it, it's a it, that's a that's a that's a tight rope to walk right right there. But it is. So, um, do you have corporate partners? Do you have sponsorships? We have. So the Bank of Brookhaven is a sponsor. We really don't have to worry too much about the programs that we do in Brookhaven because not only do we get support from Bank of Brookhaven, the Brookhaven Lincoln County slash Franklin County Library is also generous in terms of giving us meeting space. Uh -huh. we, there, there's also a store in Brookhaven called Angels Attic. They've been very supportive of us oh, wow. in the past. Yes. So, but, but that's just one area of the state. 
Um, interestingly, I think we've done most of our work here in Jackson. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, the Jackson area is where we've had the most problems with, with getting support for the youth that we're assisting here. Really? So, you would yeah. think with the large population there that that would be different. It, it has been a real challenge for us. Uh-huh. So we're in the process now of trying to reach out to school, not only principals, school administrators, um, the Jackson Public Schools Board of Education and um, local business owners and so forth, because we our population here in Jackson is growing rapidly. Yeah, it is. It is. And there's a lot of gaps there. There's a lot of yes. haves and have nots. Yes. <clears throat> what uh, What do you think is the pushback? Is it that they don't have the funding or they're trying to figure out how to fit as much as they can in the school day they already have and they're already overtasked? Or I, I think that that may be a part of it. But another issue, too, is the Magnolia Literacy Project right now, Shannon, is operating within my capabilities. Okay. I'm doing most of the work. So you're trying to figure out how to scale it. Absolutely. Okay. That yes. makes a lot of sense. I Working in the nonprofit world, I, I totally understand scalability. Yes. So what book do you, are you hoping you can do next with your, your blossoms and magnolias? So starting in the fall of this year, we're going to be reading Name Change. And that's written by Hannah Jackson. That is the young woman that I Uh just mentioned who formerly wrote for Black Magnolias of Voices. And that is her first published book. Oh, wow. So that's on our radar next. Very cool. And there's a subtitle. I believe it's Name Change, The Journey to Becoming Me. Oh, wow. Where is that book available? Do you know? Do you know who the publisher is? I know it's self-published and I know that you can get it on Amazon. Okay. And she, she writes a lot about her, her experiences as a Christian, the many nuances there. Mm -hmm. Um, She writes a lot about family, how her mother influenced her, Mm -hmm. how her grandmother influenced her in so many ways. She reminds, some of her themes reminds me of what we're looking at in Crystal Wilkinson's Perfect Black, especially Mm -hmm. Black rural girlhood. Mm -hmm. And and she, her her tone is primarily inspirational and optimistic. I think it's just brilliant the way she's able to address some of the darkest subjects, but Mm -hmm. in the lightest way. Very interesting. So if you dream big, what's your dream for your organization? To have a chapter in every single state in the United States. Oh, wow. Yes. But but prior to that, just being more active across the state of Mississippi. You know, we, we have, we want to branch out to serve every county at mm-hmm. some point. 
Well, I think it's so important, the work you're doing. Um, so uh, do you help? Do you have an, an, an do you have an a, a organization within your organization that helps students publish work themselves beyond the blog or? No, right now, the blog is all that we have. Mm -hmm. And that, that Shannon, by the way, is also another goal is to, it, because we're publishing on our blog, shorter pieces, short mm -hmm. stories, essays, poems, and so forth. But I would like to get to a point where we have publishing opportunities mm -hmm. for them for larger projects of theirs. Mm -hmm. Well, I lived in Seattle and I had a friend, Frankie Rowe, and she got a grant through the, I think it was the Seattle Gang Coalition. Mm. And we, we ended up doing it as credit recovery for these kids. So they were, for whatever reason, they had missed school. A couple of girls that were in there were not gang members. Some of them were family members of gang members. But... um we had a dozen kids and they got paid. They actually got a stipend to come to class. It wasn't a lot, but it was enough. It was enough for them to pay a cell phone bill or something like that. Um, I think it was, I think it was a couple hundred dollars a month. And at the end, we had professionals who came in. I was there to help them write their stories as a, as an educator and a writer and all that. Um, and, Frankie managed the program and she was really good. She should, she was a natural teacher too. And we used a, a youth center in there in the community. It was in a gym. And so they, they wrote their books and I mean, they weren't, they weren't huge. I mean, a couple of them were like a hundred pages, one young lady put a collection of her poetry and her short stories. Uh, another young lady essentially told her story, but in fiction form. And some, and she was African-American and Asian. And she, she, something in the title was the Blasian girl. She, she, Oh, I love it. And so, you know, and all these kids, I had a young, I had two young girls who were from, who were Eritrean. And they wrote about what it was like to be Muslim women in Seattle and in high school and teens, which made it difficult. And that's why a lot of times they weren't at school, you know, between mm -hmm. the pull at home of family yes. yep. and and then living in communities where gangs were prevalent and how um, traditional American young men viewed them and treated them compared and then how they morphed their neighborhood by just. They wouldn't go anywhere without a, a, a male member of their family because for their own safety and uh, and how that changed the respect in their community. And it was really a very interesting a publishing journey. But we had professionals came in there. I had a, a lady who who did yeah. um, book covers and she donated her time and she came in and worked with the kids. She taught them what goes on it. She taught them the parts. They wrote it. We helped them massage it, fix the English. And then we, I mean, i tell you what, I was, I did more uh, documentation for schools for credit recovery than I did coaching some days. But, uh, <laughs> but 
we also had a, a a publishing coach there. His name's Patrick Snow. He now lives in in um, Hawaii. He's very dynamic. He's a positive. Uh, he's a he's a positive person, and he um, he came and gave speeches, and he gave the kids encouragement. And and then when they were all done, uh, their books are up in um, their books are up in Amazon. To my knowledge, they're still up in Amazon. And uh, they did a presentation to the mayor of Seattle. And he hosted, awesome. he hosted a book launch party for them. And that is one of the goals. That that's, that's the level of engagement that I hope to have through the MLP with young people here in the state of Mississippi. Well, And the, and the thing about it was, was what that did for those kids mm-hmm. was amazing. Unfortunately, one of the young ladies didn't complete. She was close, uh, and I was so disappointed. She made it all the way to the, almost to the end, and she just for various reasons at home and and in, you know, life choices. It she just she couldn't complete it. She chose not to, and um, I was like, dang, because she had such a good story. She had such a wonderful voice, but to have. 11 out of 12. I think it was 11 out of 12. I mean, it was a significant, to me, that was such a significant piece. That is, that it is very much so. Yeah. To have more than 90% complete was just, and I I think there are more kids out there like that. I've always thought that there should be more opportunities like that. Of course. And, and I, there's something about every single young person that I work with in this program that reminds me of myself. Oh, wow. When, when I was a, a young Mississippian, I've always enjoyed reading and writing. And I was that kid who was happier sitting in my bedroom, closed up, mm-hmm. either reading something or writing something than trying to hang out with friends. Uh-huh. Um, but one thing about it, though, as I reflect, I think that, well, I know that I definitely would have benefited from something like this mm-hmm. because I was not aware when I was a child that I held in my hands some gifts and some talents that build companies, mm-hmm. you know, that writes books and mm-hmm. and just achieves all of these um, other remarkable things because all of the emphasis in my hometown where recreation and youth engagement was concerned was sports. Yeah. yeah. And it didn't go any farther than that. Yeah. And, and, and the girls in my community, after we were done with school, we were supposed to, if we did go to college, we were supposed to go to college and meet a good husband. Absolutely. God help (laughs) us all. Um, those, those four men don't know what they're getting themselves into. And they're not even really men yet. I mean, honestly, no. No. those young ladies have no business. <laughs> they don't know no. themselves. And it, and it's, it's a shame because, you know, my, my dad gave me some really good advice. Now my dad was a character and I'm not saying it was all good, but this one was, and he told me, he said, you know, you go to school at first to learn how to go to school. You just learn how to go to school, learn how to be nice to people, how to deal with people who aren't nice and deal with those that are. And then when you get to high school, 
you're learning how to learn. That's right. It makes and then, sense. And then once you go to college, you found out that you didn't know how to learn anything. And so you went and you tried on a whole bunch of different things. And so, you know, if I hadn't had literacy, I don't think I would have survived because mm -hmm. I tried on a whole lot of different things and none of them seemed to fit. First of all, being a Southern girl who's outspoken <laughs> and has a temper and, you know, I know uh, how I suffer no fools and I have a redheaded daughter who's even fierier than I am but and I love it <laughs> you know I had some really good mentors along the way but only by the grace of God because if I hadn't had them I don't know what would have happened uh, or what what would have become of me because I would have been lost and I think there are a lot of bright children whose parents are like mine and don't really know what to do with you when you're, yes. when you're bright and you're, you're, you know, energetic and you have a temper Absolutely. and, you know, you're curious and because that's such the antithesis of our culture, especially for young ladies. Yes. And so I, I, how do we create more opportunities like you have for mothers to engage with their daughters in a safe space for for opportunities for more um people who can come in and be examples or role models or or mentors how do we create that i think it all starts with community you know coming coming together and Seeing that, seeing everybody's needs, and not only that, seeing what everybody can bring to the table. So it's it's very much a it's a village type thing, mm -hmm. I believe. Well, in today's world, where so many parents are either working multiple jobs or so self absorbed, how do we rebuild community? I think a lot of in in when I was growing up, community was huge. Mm -hmm. Um, if I went to the store and let's say I picked up something I shouldn't put it in my pocket, my mama would have had, a, would have gotten a phone call before I even got home and she would have marched my butt back up there, made me turn it, you know, give it back or give, or go get money out of my piggy bank and go pay it myself. We, how do we rebuild community? So... Having, having lived other places and coming back here, in Mississippi, we just need more investments in young people, period, beyond the church. Mm -hmm. And we need more programs. It's as simple as that. I, I honestly don't see much of a change. Now, this is when I, when I go to my hometown. Mm-hmm in what's available to young people now than in what it was when I was there. Mm -hmm. Sports is still it. Mm -hmm. Agreed. And anything outside of that, it doesn't exist. Mm. Not well, in my hometown. Wow. Well, and I think that's true across the country, unfortunately. I, I will say, I mean, 
I live in a small town that has a small college in the town. Mm -hmm. um, we have Mississippi University for Women. Yes. And, I mean, we, we, we now have um, community music. We have community theater. So we've had a revival of some things. It's new. I mean, a lot of it, uh, we have a, we have a, uh, an art center that's trying to do more things with children. Uh, in the summer, they have all kinds of camps and things, and they're starting to do some community things where families can come in together and take advantage of the art center. I, but that costs money. Not for the yeah. entrance, but it costs money for those organizations. And so much funding has been cut. And Mississippi doesn't give squat. No. We'll, we'll give us a new football stadium at, you know. At, absolutely. At one of the flagship colleges. Absolutely. I know when, when I lived in Tallahassee, Florida, as well as Detroit, I worked in both places as a as an assistant program coordinator over youth employment programs mm -hmm. and so but for and and I think the one in Tallahassee served almost 500 youth mm -hmm. every year the one in Detroit I don't even we were into the thousands the last oh, wow. summer that I worked with them but going back to that village concept it wasn't just any one entity pouring into that you had the mayor of the city of Detroit you had pastors all across the city of Detroit, nonprofit organizations, individuals in the community, businesses, mm -hmm. foundations. Mm -hmm. There were so many different groups pulling together to make those opportunities possible. Mm -hmm. And it was more than just a job. The, this, there was a career readiness piece, a workshop readiness piece. Oh, wow. They were actually going, going into a class, seminar style, on Fridays, talking about workplace readiness, career readiness. And there was even some college readiness focus factored in. So, so, they, it, sounds, so it sounds like it's not all the programs that could exist, there are models out there. It's not Absolutely. the kids who need resilience. It's the adults in the communities who need resilience. Yes. So yes. essentially the adults are failing the future. That's how I see it. That's that's a big part of it. Wow. Well, that kind of feeds right into a lot of what I've been reading. I I've had parents who... When they, when they were approached about their children being a part of different programs, reluctant to enroll them because they felt, especially for the younger kids, they felt like, oh, you just don't know how she is. You don't know how he, he is. They're out of control. They're not going to sit still for this. And they did just the opposite. Yeah. So the youth interest is there. Mm-hmm. And it's up to us to make the make the opportunities available. Interesting. Well, I'd love to continue this conversation on into the future. Sure. <laughs> okay. Well, I appreciate your time, and I would, I really look forward to um, learning more about your programs and seeing what happens in the future. Thank you. Thank What's you. I'd next? love to come back on and talk to you. Oh, I, I thank you so much. I hope you will. And and I hope that 
we can continue talking about the Mississippi's future for our youth um, and maybe pull in some more people because I think it's, I think it's a very important topic. I know my community struggles with it and I think we can learn from other communities. And uh, I mean, I think there's a piece to this. Literacy is such an important piece. I mean, clearly without literacy, you wouldn't be an English professor. I wouldn't have been a high school English teacher or a middle school English teacher. I certainly wouldn't have gotten a master's (laughs) in creative writing and you know, I wouldn't be doing the Tom Bigby tales if it weren't for different forms of literacy. And so. and and that's the outcome that I hope to see with these young people that we're working with in the MLP. I think that's wonderful. <laughs> well, maybe we can have one of your students on here soon and that can talk about their publications or a mother-daughter oh, team that talks about being a blossom and a magnolia. Oh, I would love that. Well, let's let's make a let's make a plan to 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 find more ways to support literacy in Mississippi. Okay, sounds good. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time, and I I look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thank you so much. Happy New Year to you. Same thing to you. All right.